There's over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Net Zero Carbon. This is the show at FreightWaves where we focus on all things around sustainability and emissions in the freight and logistics sector. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Steve Peasley, CEO of Wicked Hyper. Steve, how are you doing? Not too bad, Tyler. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Did I pronounce that correctly, or is it Wicked Hyper? No, the, yeah. I mean, you, 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 if you say it that way down here, it's, it's probably not going to get picked up too much. But yeah, back home, we would say it that way. Awesome. Where are you now? Where does this find you? Well, I'm I'm in Louisiana now, but I'm I'm from Maine originally, and that's where the Wicked came from. So. I love it. I love it. Well, let's jump in. Tell me a little bit about your background, how you ended up. You know, what's the founding story of Wicked Hyper? It's uh, it's it's uh, not the normal story. I don't know if there is a normal story, uh, but but uh, I, I went to West Point at a time actually before we we technically had majors, so everybody had this really heavy engineering load. So we all had a you know a, a big physics calculus, you know, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, all that stuff background. And, and of course, I used none of that uh, in my adult life afterwards. I, you know, I, I was in the army. Uh, then I got out. I was a financial advisor for many years, and then, and then uh, I took a role as a um, uh, as a consultant with an infrastructure uh, transportation infrastructure consulting firm. And um, it was in that role that I actually was calling on a port in South Louisiana, and it happened to be another West Point guy running the port, uh, a couple years older than me. So that, that uh, you know, that grapevine is alive and well. And, and uh, so I asked him, I said, you know, what, what can we, our company, do to get involved in, in this new port project that you got going on? You're going to build a new container port. And he says, uh, find me a better way to move containers from point A to point B. I said, sure, what you got so far? And he said, I got trucks and I've got, you know, trains. So he's mile and a half long unit trains. I said, okay. So, you know, I scratched my head and, and went and asked around and uh, somebody told me, hey, can, what, have you thought about Hyperloop? And I said, Hyperloop, you know, by, by for containers? I, th- I thought there was just people. I said, no, 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 go talk to them. So I went out to LA, met with one of the Hyperloop companies and, and uh, sure enough, they had a concept for moving containers, but not in a, not in a vacuum tube, uh, but, on, but still on magnetic levitation. And, you know, up to 200 miles an hour. I was like, wow. So so we go back and we talk to the port and say, yeah, 200 miles an hour. We just, just, he goes, well, how soon, how quickly can you send these things one after another? And and, uh, and the Hyperloop folks said, no, oh, as fast as you can handle them. So uh, so they said that, you know, the, 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 the question is going to be how fast can you load and unload them at either end? Uh, because that's going to become the choke point. So a couple of months later, you know, they were asking me, how are they going to unload? How are we going to unload these things and, and load them back up? So I started looking around. There was there was no system out there that, that could address that. So I started, I went back to my engineering, you know, backgrounds. I said, I didn't use it. Well, all of a sudden, you know, I've got my number two pencils and my and my uh, ruler and, and, and a bunch of scrap paper out. And I'm just drawing uh, and and, you know, conceptualizing these different mechanical versions of, of how this thing would work and, and came up with something. And um, I remember talking to the, uh, to the company I was working for at the time. They said, well, 
you know, we're at a meeting with all the leadership. I said, how's this, how's this Hyperloop thing coming along? I said, man, it's great. You know, we got this thing and, you know, I've, I've got this, uh, this, this contraption that's going to, you know, load and unload. And, and, and they said, well, who's going to do that? I said, we are. And they said, we, we, we don't do that. And I was like, well, then I am. And so that, that was in, uh, in late 2019. And I went ahead and filed patent paperwork and, you know, company paperwork, LLC and all that stuff. Um, you know, zipping forward, the Hyperloop company that they lost interest. They they realized number one that the maglev portion of this was going to be prohibitively expensive. It was going to cost more more just for that infrastructure than for anything else. So, like you know, a billion and a half, two billion dollars. So then they uh, they had slowly they had they had you know retreated to just a small contribution and then finally you know pulled up their stakes and said hey we're we're, we're not going to do this we're going to go back to what we do which was good for us because that meant that all of a sudden wicked hyper was no longer just responsible for loading and transloading the uh the containers but also for the transport element itself so mm. so that's how it started i got <laughs> i got kind of backed into a corner that said hey you know you started this thing and it just kept rolling into one commitment after another until I was kind of out there on an island saying, okay, well, let's, let's see where this thing takes us. And, and, uh, and then, you know, along the way, we had a supply chain problem globally that involved this very thing. I was like, we've got the answer to this. I mean, we're, you know, we're holding the answer to this thing right now. And I think that's about the time you and I met. Um, yeah, it was last fall, right in the middle of, you know, the pandemic bullwhip and, Every month, we're adding 10 more ships off the, the coast of LA Long Beach, getting up, you know, we're higher now. You know, this seems like it's writing its own story for a solution like this to come to market. Obviously, you know, ideas like this take years to implement and get on the ground. And there's fundraising and permitting and, and all these commercial agreements that have to get lined out. But it sounds like it's it's progressing. Where are you guys at in the life cycle of Wicked Hyper? Uh, good question. So, uh, you know, with any startup with any idea that your, your biggest fear is somebody else is going to steal it. You know, somebody else is going to hear it and they're going to put it in there because it's really about first to market. Um, and, and that said, uh, you still go to the patent attorney, you, you, you trademark logos, you, uh, you, and you patent the, the, uh, the innovation itself. I mean, you can't patent an idea. You have to patent something much more than that. So that's been, that's been ongoing for, uh, about two and a half years now on, on the on the uh, on the IP protection side, um, we um, we were originally going to do a feasibility study for that first port back in March of, or May of 2020. Um, we had given a, a visioning workshop right as COVID hit, and it was in New Orleans, which was you know ground zero for COVID uh, at Mardi Gras time, and. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, for a variety of reasons, and, and COVID, eh, probably not that one of the major ones, uh, the, the feasibility study kept getting pushed back. I mean, it was the carrier, it was the investor in the in the port, it was the railroad. Uh, everybody that was affected delayed the thing, but they all none of them did it, at, you know, simultaneously. They all waited till it was their turn. So it got pushed back, and it was probably the best thing that happened for us because the system evolved. You know, first the uh, uh, the Hyperloop folks fell out of it, uh, which required us to develop our own hyper rail transport system, which is what we call the 
the transport element of, of the Wicked Hyper. Um, and it just got better and better, you know, so it was this, this giant curve that we went through and, you know, it's, it's, what, how does that song, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers, you know, that, um, Love Garth Brooks. Garth, Garth Brooks, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, we, we thought we wanted that feasibility study to start, you know, in 2020. Then we, then we were sure we wanted it to start in 2021. Um, and then, you know, as we came to the close of the year, we said, okay, everything's, everything's pretty set. There isn't a whole lot more that can change, uh, you know, and, and so we just sent the draft uh, contract for that out to the, to the port. And we'll see what, how that comes back, but we're anticipating a start on a feasibility study uh, in the coming months and then, and then wrap it up. And that'll give us a lot of um, uh, credibility out there in the, uh, in the world in terms of traction, both with investors, potential investors, and also with, other port authorities, uh, both in the U.S. and, and abroad. Um, That's exciting. As as, oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's exciting. Yeah, every milestone is additional credibility, and that, that's great to see, you know, actual progress on the ground happening. And, and I'm sure even more so for you because it's been, you know, your baby for, for years and years. Can you, can you do like a quick high-level visualization for the listeners? So if I've got a container coming into a port and I'm trying to get it inland to Chicago – and we go to called Port of New Orleans, and it gets on a Wicked Hyper system. What does that look like from when the when the container gets pulled off of the vessel? That's a great question. So what happens is um, the ship to shore crane takes that off the off the vessel, and and with Wicked Hyper, it does that container does not touch terra firma until it gets about ten to fifty miles inland um, to an inland yard. So it comes off the off the ship. Uh, and goes directly either onto a, a, a flatbed truck, either an automated or a, or a manually driven one. Um, and that goes no over... Chassis. I'm sorry? So no chassis in that regard. It's like no, an AG. No, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a flatbed. Uh, so, so, you know, the automated ones are called automated guidance vehicles. Mm-hmm. And the others, uh, the driven ones are called uh, electric uh, terminal tractors. Uh, the electric terminal tracker does have a has a trailer, a flat trailer on the back of it, um, and those just follow a path from the uh, from the side of the ship uh, over to the what we call a mega gantry. It's a multi hoist uh, giant robot that's capable of of lifting up uh, you know twenty containers at a time, 20, 40 foot containers at once. So it will it will simultaneously. Uh, offload uh, 10 of these flatbed trucks and 10 train cars uh, all at once. So it gets the containers up in the air, switches them around and gets them so that the import containers uh, go out on the train, the the train set, and then the the export ones go back to the ship. Um, So that that train set, that that transport element, is just a small, um, what we, we call hyper rail, it's got a couple of locomotives on it, and it's only got about 20 uh, wagons that can be double stacked as far as uh, uh, 40-foot containers go. Um, so instead of sending a mile-and-a-half-long unit train out of the port area, a lot of times you have to drive through neighborhoods, uh, uh, you know, a good number of at-grade crossings and whatnot. So we have these 1,200-foot-long these mini train sets that are going through, and even at 20 miles an hour, uh, only takes – 42 seconds to pass 
a grade crossing. So, you know, if you're there and you're held up by, you know, that's that's a traffic light. So that's no different. You know, most people aren't going to complain about that. If you've got a mile and a half long unit train, you know, that's four and a half minutes. That seems like four and a half months. Um, and, and that's not talking about if the, if the darn thing stops while you're waiting for it. So, um, so you get to the, uh, to the inland yard, which is away from the waterfront. And ostensibly, the land is cheaper. It's more available. Uh, it may be industrial, you know, an industrial area, but it's certainly not in the heart of downtown. You're not competing with all the truck traffic and everything. So, so you've removed that and, and you've put it out there. Uh, and that's where you have another wicked hyper system set up uh, where you have the, the, the giant gantry, the giant mega gantry and, and the fleet of flatbed trucks. But this time you're, you're going into container stacks. And typically this would be co-located with a class one rail, rail yard. So to answer your question, uh, you know, those containers would then, you know, get transloaded, probably not directly from Wicked Hyper. They would go into whatever, you know, holding stacks that are that are uh, set aside for the next uh, unit train to go up to Chicago. And, that, and then it would go up there that way. Now, Chicago collectively is the second largest port in the U.S. When, in, when you talk about container volume. After L.A. Long Beach, it's really Chicago. Um and so there's an argument there for Wicked Hyper uh, that that just operates in terms of, you know, a, a train terminal and and a uh, and a and a distribution uh, terminal away from there. We've we've talked about that. We haven't gotten as deeply into it um, as we have with the uh, with the seaports, um, but it's out there and it, it's a it's a real it's a real need because of the truck and train traffic through Chicago right now that just really is screaming for it. With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no empty miles future at convoy.com sustainability. So when I think about the, you know, the benefits of a system like this, right, not only is it, um, you know, more livable on the, on the waterfront in many cases, because we're able to move a lot of these container yards inland, it's also more efficient for the vessels coming, calling to port theoretically. It may not be a just-in-time discharge, but if you're able to have a continuous flow, you should have less of a backlog at the port from a container or a chassis standpoint, like we've seen in LA, that allows these vessels to come to call sooner. If, or at the very least, it moves that problem <laughs> 50 miles inland where we've got better access to these yards to be able to try and smooth things out. When I think about the environmental benefit, you know, if you're essentially electrifying the port with AGVs or a system such as this, you're eliminating a lot of the idling at the port, a lot of the air quality issues. Um, what are some of the other environmental benefits of a, a wicked hyper system? So, so our system doesn't use any diesel, uh, or, or, or carbon, uh, emitting, uh, powered systems at all. So, so all the components are either electric or either battery electric, uh, shore power electric, or hydrogen fuel cell. So the, the AGVs uh, or the electric uh, terminal tractors, those are battery electric. The mega gantry is going to be shore power electric. And then the hyper rail is uh, hydrogen fuel cell uh, motor powered. So uh, we're actually we're working with a company now that has been uh, in the initial stages of developing a freight locomotive using hydrogen fuel cell. And that's just, a, it's a matter of 
how many cells they have to put into, how many fuel cell motors they have to put in. So when they go to strip out everything, you know, what the balance is. Um, uh, right now, I think you see some battery electric uh, locomotives used in switching operations just locally. Ours is kind of in between because we're not long haul. So we don't have those concerns about, you know, having a hydrogen fuel infrastructure, you know, built across the country to be able to fuel these trains. We just, we have a return to base model where right. really we'll only have the refueling set, uh, set up at one end of the of the run, the, the 40 mile run. Uh, and most likely it's going to be the end that's closest to the interstate, the, the class one rail and all that. So that if you do have hydrogen powered, you know, trucks, they can pull off and use utilize that facility as well. But um, no direct uh, carbon emissions from our system at all, um, which, which is about as, you know, you know, aside from how the hydrogen is produced and, and then uh, how the how the battery, you know, the batteries, you know, get there and the shore power and everything. It, it's, uh, you know, we, we only have so much control. We will have control over the over the hydrogen sourcing, though. So uh, we want green or blue. Um, and then the scoring is important on that. So certainly, yeah, and, I, and that gets me excited. I'm, you know, my background was in life cycle fuel analysis and biofuels trading, and so I, I understand the upstream risk inherent and things you may not realize. If it's zero emissions at the tailpipe, doesn't mean the, the grid's clean or the hydrogen's hydrogen's green at the end of the day. So I, I do think that's an interesting take, and I wasn't aware of that um, prior to our conversation because I do believe in, in hydrogen as a big opportunity, specifically at ports, right? whether it's, um, you know, for ammonia being transloaded or hydrogen actually powering ships, you know, it does seem like that that has a lot of additional tailwinds beyond the problem specifically that you're trying to solve. So that's a unique additional point of collaboration for you. Which brings me to my next question is, you know, when you think about interacting with stakeholders, um, clearly you've got, you know, alignment with ports. Um, I'd be interested to hear too about how the class one railroads are thinking about adopting this solution and how that impacts their network operations, not having to actually go into the facility through the city. Um, I imagine they'd be excited about it, but how are those conversations been? Yeah. So, so th- it's been limited so far, uh, Tyler, as far as, as far as talking to the class ones um, and, and every, you know, there's a, there's a saying in the port world that says, if you've seen one port, you've seen one port um, because, <laughs> because they're all so different. And, and, and a lot of, uh, port scenarios, you'll have a, a local Beltline uh, railroad that goes, you know, that ties from the class one. It'll be a class two or a class three line that ties into the port. Uh, right. Others, you'll have the, the, the class one goes right into uh, the container terminal itself, such as, you know, Savannah uh, or um, uh, Houston. Uh, so each one of those is a different negotiation and, and it's about you know, you're going to use my tracks for what? And, and uh, sure. you know, it, it, it be, a lot of it's chest thumping. You know, I hate to I hate to call it that, but, you know, it, it becomes an ownership issue and a control issue. Uh, others, it's like, yeah, man, we're, we're excited about this because we're only running two trains a day on that on that track, you know, one in the morning, one in the evening. So it's not like uh, we're getting our money's worth out of that. And if, if we can generate some you know, lease income off of off of your use of that, then then, then all the better. Um, so so there is a, there is a, a, a wide spectrum of uh, of I, you know opinion on that among the among the class one world. Uh, but but I'll I'll also say that we haven't we haven't spent a lot of time with those folks yet. 
Um, but they're all they're all on the uh, you know we reach out to them and 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 uh, and connect with them either on on social media like LinkedIn, um, and then we look for them at at conferences. Um, the Rail and Maritime Conference in Chicago is a biggie, and uh, I'm happy to you know say that I had some outreach from them to say, hey, are you coming? You know this this year. Nice. Um, so it's. Yeah, it's you. You got to tie it, tie it all in, but you got to take them one piece at a time. And for us, the obvious piece was that you know the ports. And our our COO is a, a former uh, CEO for for South Carolina Ports Authority um, for the whole state, meaning including Charleston. And he's also the former chairman of the American Association of Port Authority. So he's our street cred as far as the port world world goes. And you know, because I don't have that background and. Um, uh, sometimes people say, what, what qualifies you to do this? And, and the answer is, you know, because I'm not one of you, because I'm not restricted by your way of thinking and uh, best practices and that sort of thing. And, and, and uh, you know, that's what, that's what experts in a field do, that is they, they don't necessarily innovate or they hardly ever innovate. They take what's being done out there and say, hey, we can do that and we can, we can, uh, improve what we're doing. They make incremental improvements. And, and exactly. Iterating. iterating. I've also heard another one, which I really like uh, recently about, you know, are we applying new technology to solve or improve yesterday's processes? Or are we actually using the t- new tools we have now to build completely new processes and, and designs that are fit for the modern age? And that seems like what a Wicked Hyper would be doing. Let me ask you this question that I, that I always try to end with, with most of my guests is, you know, I see this as a very important sustainability initiative for our country. Um, why, why is that important to you? Why is sustainability just in general as a topic, environmental um, stewardship or conservation, you know, does that matter to Steve and why? Well, yeah, it does. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll admit to being a, uh, uh, I don't want to say a non-believer, but I, you know, I, I, I admit that, Early on in the sustainability uh, argument, you know, that I felt that some people were getting way ahead uh, for reasons that had nothing to do with the greater good, uh, but, to, you know, feather their own caps and, and whatnot. I, I don't I don't feel that way anymore. I think that, um, you, you know, the data, the data, however limited the data is, it is pointing in the, in the direction that, you know, it, you, you don't want to make this bet on the wrong side. So if you if you don't think it's it's really happening, if you think it's just a short term phenomenon, and you're wrong, and you bet that it was only a short term phenomenon, then then there's no there's no turning back. Um, I I think it makes sense that when you have such an increase in population over a short period of time, that the usage from that population is going to is going you know something's got to give, and and so we have the ability now to start corralling some of that. And, and, um, uh, you know, we're, we're not getting to 50% emissions in, in 2050 or 30% emission. We're going to zero. And so that's one of the nice things that we can say about our, our system is we're, we're starting at zero, um, as far as the part that we can control goes. And, uh, um, so if, if a port, you know, is, is, uh, is, is a heavy polluter, you know, this part of it, you know, we can, we can, we can help with. Um, the rest of it is, is about the ship, you know, ship power and, and you know, what they're using for, for fuel and that. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, 
I, I'm an, I don't want to say I'm an avid outdoorsman. I was at one time. I enjoy the outdoors a lot. And, and, and you know, you want others to be able to, to do the same. You want your grandchildren to be able to do the same. I, I, I just read where they, I guess it's the Aral Sea that's down to 10% of its, you know, former volume. And that 10% is just putrid. It's, it's you know, it's radioactive waste. It's a, it's a, it's a bunch of, it's a, just a bunch of junk out there because it was allowed to happen. And um, uh, more of that down the road if we don't do anything. I'm with you. I I, I did not. Come, I'm actually not much of an outdoorsman, but I did not come from a climate alarmist standpoint. I, I really came from more of a business climate realist standpoint. And the more that I've actually done my homework and done my research and um, just observing the trends, not only anecdotally and you know my interpretation, my how I feel the weather is around me here in Southern Tennessee, um, but just looking at what's happening across the world, it, it does feel heightened. And it, it's given me more alarm than I had previously. You know, I know how the story ends, so I'm not terribly worried. But uh, that doesn't mean we can't be good stewards, you know, while we're here. So I appreciate that answer and uh, look forward to hearing more about Wicked Hyper and how it's going to tackle these problems in the future. If we want to um, leave our listeners with an opportunity to reach out or learn more, where's the best way for them to reach out to you, Steve? Uh, info at wickedhyper.com is, uh, is a good email for that. And then the, Excellent. Uh, the website's undergoing... Uh, updates right now, but it's wicked hyper So nice. Let me know when that's live. I want to I'm gonna repost that and check out the new digs. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you having me on the show and and uh you know getting a chance to you know catch up since uh since we last saw each other. Absolutely. I look forward to the next time. Good luck with everything, Steve. Thanks again. You too. Appreciate it. Take care.